Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Today we're on the last message in this series that we've called uh, The Fall. Uh, the Kind of the point of this series um, has, has been to remind us that uh, Satan still wants to impact our lives in a negative way as he did uh, Adam and Eve. He wants to trip us up and make us fall. As you'll clearly see today, we are all impacted by the original fall of Adam and Eve, but he still individually loves to try and trip us up and get us to make our mistakes and fall in our own lives. Uh, the topics that we have uh, looked at so far uh, are doubt, denial, death, distance, and, and today, descendants. Um, I uh, was joking with someone outside in the connection area, and, uh, and I said, I'm, I'm going to warn uh, you two guys that I walked up to. Uh, I, I said, I'm covering two chapters today. Now, uh, they said they might just go ahead and leave and go eat. Uh, in, instead of stay. So some of you might think, well, we'll get away from here about supper time. Well, no, it'll be about the same length of time, but we need to look at some things in both these chapters, and I have to hit the highlights in order to uh, do that. I also failed to mention this earlier because some of the Army guys have been giving me trouble that I'm wearing a Navy shirt uh, today. Well, we're for Veterans Day. I was not in the Navy. My dad was, though, and he was in 13 major battles during World War II, so that's why I had that on. So for all of you Army guys, that's why. Uh, you know, quit giving me trouble. Uh, over it. But um, as, um, as we think about the progression of, of things, just to remind you, Satan wants to get us to doubt God's word, uh, if at all possible. But he's not happy with that. He wants us to actually deny what God had to say. That's what he did. He denied what God had said and said that uh, the day you eat of that fruit of the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil, you'll not really die. Uh, and yet we'll find out that indeed was a lie. Uh, because it did lead to death. It led to the death of the substitutes of those animals uh, instantly. I think it led to uh, uh, spiritual death that happened in Adam and Eve's life. I think also probably physical death set up in their bodies uh, that very day to where they would uh, eventually die. It also led to distance because uh, Adam and Eve that had this close face-to-face relationship with God, now, now they're driven from uh, this garden called Eden that God had prepared for them. The thing we come to today is this. The sin of Adam and Eve did not just affect them. It affected their descendants. That might need to alert us a little bit because sometimes maybe we think, well, what I do will just kind of affect me. It won't really affect anyone else. And it can affect a whole lot more people than we care to imagine, even our own descendants in really, really negative ways uh, sometimes. The sin of Adam and Eve affected their immediate descendants, we'll see today, and also their future descendants, even including us. Uh, So that's kind of the two main points we're going to look at today. Uh, To start with, we're going to focus upon how how their sin, how the fall of man affected the immediate descendants of Adam and Eve. And that's what we see taking place in in, in Genesis uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 24. Uh, to begin with, there, there's several births that really take place. There's some births of sons, but there's also some birth or entrance of sins that come into the human race as a result of the fall. 
Um, to begin with, they had descendants born to them. And since we're covering so much today, I, I can't read all the scriptures to you. You'll have the references in your notes. You can look them up later. But uh, the Bible tells us that God uh, blessed Adam and Eve, and they actually uh, wound up having two sons. When she had Cain, uh, Eve actually said this. Uh, she said, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And then she bore his brother Abel, and uh, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. Shakespeare once said this. Shakespeare said, all the world is a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They all have their exits and their entrances, and, and one man in his time plays many parts. So, uh, you know, I think Shakespeare was right in that term, even not just for thinking about the theater, but in life itself. Many times we play many roles or many parts in life. The important thing we need to recognize is this. We need to follow God's script, not write our own. We, we need to be willing to listen to what God's will is, what God's plan is, instead of just going our own way. And the problem that happened with Cain is this. Cain wrote his own script. Cain decided, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to follow things the way I want to follow things. And it led him to a lot of tragic circumstances in his life. It ruined him because he decided he was going to do his own thing. On the other hand, Abel, it seems like, was following a pattern that was probably taught to him by Adam and Eve because they had the pattern set for them by God himself when God killed the animals to provide that cover and that substitute to cover their shame. No doubt Adam and Eve may have taught that to their children because now we see one brings the work of his hands to God and one brings a lamb to God to be offered. One is accepted and one is not. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in, uh, in just a minute. But it seems to me like Cain decides, I'm going to write my own script. And Adam says, I'm going to follow the script that's been taught me. I'm going to follow the script uh, that, that God himself designed as he even killed those animals that my parents have taught me as I was growing up. I do want to run a little bit of a side message just for a minute before we go on any further. And that is to note what Eve said. Eve said, I have, have gotten a man from the Lord. I, I think we need to allow that to speak to us in volumes. For, for us to be reminded that every conception, every baby, every child that we have, God allowed us to have those children. God brought those children into the world, and we need to value those children from that standpoint. Whether it be pre-birth in the womb or after birth, we need to recognize God is the one that allowed that child into the world. God's the one that allowed that child to be conceived, and God has a purpose for that child, and we ought to honor that. That ought to be our mindset. You know, they, God let us be their parents, but they're really God's. He's the one that sent them into this world. And that ought to be the way we view uh, our, our children. So that's kind of like a free message for you parents um, uh, out, out there. And you kids can go home and say, hey, preacher said you're supposed to value me. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, she, she named her children this. She named uh, Cain, uh, and, and his name means acquired or to create. The oldest is named Cain. From the focus being, well, God, God created him, and now I've acquired him from God. Second one is named Abel. And his name means breath or vanity or emptiness. And just maybe even in those two names, God is teaching us in his word that life comes from him. At the same time, life can be very brief. 
or vain, as happened with Abel, him losing his life at a tragic early age. So you see literally the birth of descendants, but we also see the birth of jealousy into the human race. The birth of jealousy into the human race. Now, without me reading all, all the story, what happens is, is this. Uh, they bring in offerings to God, and Cain brings the work of his hand, which most theologians, Bible scholars uh, say, they believe that's a type or a picture of a, a person dependent upon their own good works. And Abel's following the pattern that evidently had been taught him by his parents, and he brings a lamb to be sacrificed. And that lamb uh, is a picture, a type of a substitute, that a substitute has to be offered in, uh, in our place. God receives the sacrifice of Abel. Now, we're not given the details as to how they knew that. When you read through the Bible, a lot of times uh, God would send fire down from heaven to consume a sacrifice. So maybe that was evidence that the sacrifice had been, had been received, that God sent fire down and consumed it. But whatever the reason was, they knew and Cain knew that God had favored Abel and accepted that sacrifice, but he refused his. And it made Cain become very very jealous. His, his face fell to the degree that God even asked him, you know, why are you acting like this? Why are you looking that way? And God even warned Cain. He said, there's this sin that's crouching at your door like an angry animal, and it wants to control you. It has a desire for you, but you need to control it instead of allowing it to control you. We need to be be careful of of emotions like jealousy because those emotions can can lead to a lot of other things. The the anger that that he had, the Hebrew word implies that that Cain was burning with anger. That's how ill he was about this situation. Jude 11 talks about the way of Cain. And you can surmise from that there are really only two, quote, religions in the world, ever have been, ever will be. The religion of Abel is a blood sacrifice, a substitute. The religion of Cain is people dependent upon their own works and their own goodness. One leads to heaven, one leads to hell. Can you guess which? If we depend upon ourselves and our own good works, there's no substitute. There's not any redemption that takes place. So jealousy is born here in, into the story of the human race. Regrettably, it doesn't stop there. There's another birth, so to speak, in the human race, and it's a birth of murder that happens into the human race. And it's premeditated murder because Cain invited Abel, come out here in the field with me. And when he took him out in the field, he killed his own brother. Then God comes around asking, where's your brother? It's not that God didn't know. He just wanted to see what Cain would tell him. And of course, Cain uses that famous excuse that many people still use in this day and time. Well, I'm not my brother's keeper. And God lets him know the opposite is really the truth. And God says, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So because you've done this, this very ground that you work and have been so productive for you, now you're going to be banished from it. It's not going to give the fruit that it used to give to you. And you're also going to be banished. You're going to have to roam as a wanderer all the days of your life. 
And Cain starts thinking, well, you know, man's going to be a mark on me. People's going to hunt me down. People's going to kill me. And God says, no, that's not the case. If they do, they'll receive a, a sevenfold punishment for doing so. Now, that's the story of what happens in this section. But will you once again put yourself in the shoes or in the skin or in the mindset of Adam and Eve in their circumstances? Can you imagine having a son? Kill a son? And no doubt, maybe in their mindset, they think back to their own sin and realize because of their choices, sin entered the human race. And no doubt, they might have been thinking, this wouldn't have happened if we had not done what we did. Man, that's a serious place to be in your life, isn't it? To, to think the very murder of your son by your son is your fault because of the choices that you've made. We wrestle with that a lot of times as parents, wondering if the, you know, some things that maybe our children have experienced are, are our fault, maybe because we didn't teach them well enough or we didn't model well enough or whatever the case might be, but we can, we can wrestle with those types of emotions. But you see, Adam and Eve didn't just lose one son, they lost two sons. They lost Abel to being murdered. They lose Cain to him being banished to wander the earth. He goes and settles in a place called Nod, a land called Nod. The name Nod literally means destroy your wonder. So he chooses to live in a land that really maybe even gives the idea of his wandering from God in his own life. He had this jealousy that crept up in him. Something I passed over earlier, I want to back up and get just for a second, because some people might wonder, well, why, why did God accept Abel's and why did he not accept Cain's? And, and I think it had more to do with just what they offered. I think it had to do with Cain's heart. Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 5, or Hebrews chapter 11, it was by faith that Abel offered a better sacrifice. Abel had his heart right with God, Cain did not. And now he sails in this place called Nod that gives the idea, I think, of him even wandering from God. A couple of practical warnings we need to grab there. One, one is this. Things like jealousy might lead us to places we never planned to go. To, to think about allowing that emotion to sit in your heart and it can put into motion steps that lead to something called murder. We, we need to be careful about entertaining such, such things as jealousy and anger in, in our lives. And here's a separate practical, practical application we need to grab, and, and that is this. Our relationship with God can definitely and will definitely affect our relationship with other people. Evidently, Cain didn't have much of a real relationship with God, so it was a very easy thing for him just to decide to kill his brother. The reverse of that is also true. Our relationship with other people will affect our relationship with God many times. And you see that lived out in this, in this story and what happens here. There's also another birth that we see. 
There's a birth of what theologians call the ungodly seed. Because Bible scholars, as they look at these lineages here early in the Bible, they call Cain's family or Cain's lineage the ungodly seed because of his choices and because of what spurns forth from him. Later on, we'll see the day that God gives Adam and Eve another son by the name of Seth. And theologians consider that lineage the godly lineage because that's the lineage eventually that Christ comes through. But as we think about this birth of an ungodly seed, we're told in, in the Bible that Cain knew his wife and, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he named the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And then he goes on to tell us about, you know, Enoch was born Irad, and Irad, Mahujael. Mahujael fathered Methusiel. Methusiel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives, and the name of one was Adam, and the name of the other was Zillah. And Adam bore Jabal, and he was a father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe, or in other words, musical instruments. Zillia also bore Tubal Cain, and he was the forger of instruments like bronze and iron. Then he had a sister, Namah. And then Lamech, one of his descendants, eventually said this to his wives. He said, Adai and Zillia, hear my voice. You wise of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Now, there's some things going on in that passage that you might not think about to begin with. And I want to kind of cover the, the highlights of, of them. You have a city being built. And in this city being built, in the civilization, a lot of theologians look at that and they'll say that, that maybe that's the first sign of mankind thinking he can provide his own security and we don't really need God to be secure. We'll, we'll take care of our own security. We'll take care of our own lives. We'll build, we'll build cities of safety for ourselves. Also in the lineage of Cain, you'll notice if you compare the two and, and, and jump over and read the lineage of Seth, there are very similar sounding names. Some names are exactly the same. There's an Enoch in both one. One Enoch walked with God, one did not. The one of Seth's lineage walked with God. The Enoch, uh, the, the Enoch that is in the bloodline of Cain didn't walk with God. And, and just maybe that is showing us how Satan wants to have a counterfeit for everything that's true and everything that's real, even in these two bloodlines. You, you also have the first instance of polygamy because you have Lamech being the first bigamist. He took two wives to himself. So the, the original plan of God, the original ideal of, of God starts to change as sin starts to have a larger impact on the human race. 
Then there's a focus on the ingenuity of man. Because as the Bible talked about the bloodline of Cain, it mentions one that kind of got people keeping livestock to begin with. And one that started musical instruments to begin with. And, and one that started making bronze and, and, and metal and things like that. It's, it's like the ingenuity of mankind is being exalted. Instead of the glory of God being exalted. Man, we have taken that to the millionth degree, haven't we? <laughs> if that is true, that's what's pictured here in these verses, that all of a sudden you see this idea of, of, of man kind of praising or worshiping his own ingenuity. Look how that has gone through our culture, and even yet today, to where people want to have more and more of the focus on who we are and what we can do, and we can take care of everything ourselves, and we're evolving into something so much better, and we begin to praise and worship man instead of giving glory to God. A lot of theologians believe that started right here, and that's what's implied in what takes place. And you see a descendant of the murderer Cain, Lamech, bragging to his two wives. Even got their attention. Hey, I want both of you to hear what I'm about to say. I have murdered a young man that wounded me. And if people thought Cain was bad, if his revenge was sevenfold, mine is seventy-sevenfold. It can be translated in the Hebrew in the future tense like this. I will slay anyone who wounds me and will not need God's protection, for with these weapons I can avenge myself 77-fold. It's like a, a statement of arrogance and a statement of, of war and a statement of bitterness and, and a statement of how bad I am, you know? See people going around with all these things on their vehicles, no fear. I'm telling you, this coming today, you'll have some fear. Maybe Lamech thought, no fear of anyone. Listen how bad I am. But all that gives us the picture of, of this ungodly seed of Cain's family. So the fall of Adam and Eve affected the immediate descendants, but it also affected the future descendants of Adam and Eve. The fall affected the future descendants of Adam and Eve. We look at Genesis 4.25, then on through Genesis 5, you can see that the fall of man brings the tyranny of death. What Satan had said would not happen. Well, the serpent had said, oh, you won't really die. We, we see now that he really, really was telling a lie. Because in this section, it says he died. It's repeated eight times. In, in this section of, of Genesis, you see, we miss this because we're just reading it all of a sudden in a few minutes. But if you take time and look at how long everyone was living, this section of Genesis covers 1,500 years of human history. So for 1,500 years of human history, as a result of the fall that took place, now you see a tyranny of death reigning and ruling in the human race. 
Even though Satan has said, oh, but you will not really die. That's what the serpent told the woman. Death did come. It came, first of all, spiritually, the moment that they chose to sin. It came relationally. Their their face-to-face relationship with God was affected, and it came physically because eventually they would die. Those animals died instantly that we talked about because God killed them to show that there needed to be a substitute. But from the fall of man, death began a reign of terror as Adam experiences a son murder a son. And then as you follow on with the story in Genesis 5, it says, and he died, and he died. And he died, 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 clearly showing us that sin brings death. The fall of man brought in a tyranny of death, like a cancerous tumor spreading through a body. Death spread through the human race, and sin spread through the human race. Terrible story, isn't it? But what I want to close with for the next few minutes is this. In the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of all that tyranny of death, there's still a tremendous hope that God gives us. Right in the midst of all the, the darkness. Have you ever noticed when it's, when it's really the darkest, if you can get out somewhere away from all the, the, the lights of the cities and things like that, and you get out where it's really dark, have you ever noticed that's when you can really see the stars shine? Same thing is true in a spiritual way. It can be in the darkest times in your life that you can see the stars shine, that you can see the light of God shine in, in your life. When, when our outlook might be very dim and very tragic, if we would take time to have an uplook, that can change the way we view things. I'm not trying to be political with this statement, but I'm going to say it anyway uh, on it. And uh, a lot of people may be really happy the way the elections went this past week. But can I share something with you? If you think a politician is going to change it all, you're deluding yourself. Instead of us just having an outlook, we better have an uplook if we want our nation to change. We've been in some dark days, and the days may even get darker. That's why we need to have an uplook. In the darkness of this day and time, in the darkness of the culture, so impacted by sin, God mentions 13 different people in these verses, but four of them especially stand out as an encouragement to us. He mentions Seth, and he mentions Enosh, and he mentions Enoch and Noah. I think it tells us some special things about them that we can look at still yet today and draw some courage from in the midst of darkness, in the midst of this thing of of the tyranny of death and the fall of man. So affecting mankind, there's still hope. First one is the hope of a second chance. Thank God for second chances. Amen. And third chances. (laughs) And hundredth chances. Thank God for a second chance. The hope of a second chance is seen in the godly seed, Seth. The Bible tells us that Adam knew his wife again, and 
She bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. There's more taking place there than meets the eye. Remember that back in, in Genesis 3, God had given a promise to Eve that foreshadowed the coming of the Savior, that one day her offspring would stop the head of the serpent. The, the, the way for us to have hope in our culture is not based upon who we are and what we can do. Our hope is found in Jesus. Our hope is found in the Redeemer. The hope for the human race in the darkness of that day and time was not found in the ingenuity of Cain's family of going out and making cities and being, coming up with all these different uh, you know, inventions and all that we can do in, in man's ingenuity. That's not where the hope is found. The hope was found in that day and time in the promise that one day a Savior would come. The promise that one day there'd be a Redeemer. But look at the situation. Cain became a murderer, and Abel's dead. So where does that godly seed come from? Where does Jesus come from? Where does that bloodline sustain from? And here's what happened. God allowed Adam and Eve to conceive another child by the name of Seth. His name means granted. God gave a new pathway for the Redeemer to be born. Here's a little bit of a side message, but it's important enough for us to grab. We need to understand that God is a sovereign God in all things, and his plans cannot be thwarted by the sins of mankind. Just because Cain had so sinned, God had already promised to send a redeemer. God is a sovereign God. God is in control, and God will carry forth his promise irregardless of what you and I do, irregardless of what Cain had done. God is a sovereign God, an all-powerful God, and he would see to it that his plans would come through. Ephesians 1.11 tells us this. He, referring to God, works all things according to the counsel of his will. Psalm 115 and verse 3 says, But our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. In other words, God does not need to ask you and I permission to be sure that he does what he wants to do. God will carry forth his will irregardless of the sinfulness or our shortfallings or how bad we are or how good we are. God will carry his will through some way. God would see fit that the Savior would be born. So he sends this son whose name means granted. And it's through the lineage of Seth that eventually the great hope found in Jesus Christ the Redeemer would come into this world. When, when you read the Bible, a lot of times there are, there are babies being born that had a lot of significance. In, in a time period when Israel was in bondage in Egypt. There's this baby by the name of Moses that, that is born, that God raises up and, and allows him to come to a place of prominence and then, then uses him after he's committed murder and he's been banished to come back in and lead the children of Israel out to safety. In a day of darkness in the history of Israel, when there was not much of a prophetic word taking place in that day and time, God allows a baby by the name of Samuel to be born. And Samuel comes forth with prophecy as he tells the people God's will for that day and time. Later on, under the reign of this guy by the name of Saul, 
who really messes things up a lot. God already had that taken care of because there's a baby by the name of David who would grow up and become the king that the bloodline of Jesus is traced through. And there's a little baby that was born in a manger one day. (laughs) That changed it all for the hopes and the dreams of mankind that we can be forgiven Because that baby Jesus grew up and he's the redeemer of the world. God in the flesh, the God-man who went to the cross and shed his blood, God's blood, as our perfect once and for all sacrifice so that faith in him, through faith in him, you and I can have everlasting eternal life. The, The hope of a second chance. Paul writes about that second chance. He says, because of of one man's trespasses, Adam. Death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, 20 and 21. Now that the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through the lineage of Seth, through the lineage of this man who met granted, God has granted to the human race forgiveness in a restored relationship with him, restoration from the fall, redemption available for us through the lineage of Seth. Thank God for a second chance, huh? There's also hope in calling upon God. Because another one of the offspring was named Enosh. And the Bible says to Seth also, a son was born and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. When you look in the lineage of Cain, what they're focusing on is, look, we've built cities. Look, we're doing this, we're doing that. They were expounding upon the greatness of man. But through this bloodline, the godly bloodline of Seth, it says that when Enosh was born, at that point in time, people began to worship God. People began to look to God. Instead of their own ingenuity, instead of their own abilities, people turned their attention to God and began to call out to him. Enish's name means this. It means man, and it comes from a Hebrew word that means frail or weak. And I think maybe the Holy Spirit was doing this. He's emphasizing how frail and weak we are, how we don't need to focus upon ourselves like the line of Cain was. Instead, we need to focus upon a God who loves us and who's in total control, and we need to learn to worship him. If all we do is look to ourselves for hope, we'll be hopeless. If we look to God for hope, we can have hope, real hope in our lives. There's also the hope of walking with God. The hope of walking with God. Because in this bloodline of Seth, there's a man by the name of Enoch. And the Bible says Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Any of you guys noticing the change of circumstances here over the years? (laughs) 
He was 65 years old when he had Methuselah. I don't know how many 65 years old are out thinking, I'm going to start a family. They lived a lot longer then, a lot different day and time then. But he had lived for 65 years when he fathered Methuselah. Something happened in his life after Methuselah is born to where he starts walking with God. Now, we're not told why he started to walk with God. Maybe it was because of that newfound responsibility of being a father. And if you've never been there, I've got a surprise for you if God ever lets you become a father. When you look into the eyes of that baby when it's born, those children that you have, you start to realize you you better quit just living your life for yourself. So possibly that's what was going on with him at that point in time. This baby's born and it gives him a wake-up call that, hey, I better start walking with God. Because those children are going to be following me one day. That's a wake-up call for all of us dads. Don't you dare leave it up to your moms to be the head of your household spiritually. You need to walk with God because you've got children that are going to follow you. We need to set an example for them to follow. He walked with God for 300 years. Maybe it was when Methuselah was born that God gave Enoch information that there's a flood on the way. See, because Methuselah's name means man of the dark, or it can also be translated this, when he is gone, it will come. So just maybe when he was born, God let Enoch know that there's a flood on the way. There's coming a time of judgment on the way. It wouldn't surprise me one day when we get to heaven, we'll find out that maybe on the exact day that Methuselah, who was the oldest man in recorded Bible history, the oldest man to ever live, it wouldn't surprise me that we find out the moment he died, it started to rain. And a judgment that had been foretold was coming upon the earth. And as a result of that, Enoch decided... Since this is on the way, I better start walking with God. See, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11 tells us this. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? That, that's written to us saying, hey, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. All this is going to pass away. We better kind of start living our lives under the awareness that all of this will be gone and quit living for the world. And instead, we need to walk with God. Because one day, all this will be gone. And if the only thing you're doing is investing your life in the world, it will not matter one bit out in eternity. But we can invest our life in God instead, and it will matter tremendously. But for whatever reason, he starts walking with God, and he walks with God for 300 years. Many of you have probably read a similar story to this. I'm not even sure where it came from. I remember reading it years ago. And someone put it like this, that um, Enoch and God were out for a walk one day. And after they had walked and walked and walked and walked, God looked at Enoch and he said, we're closer to my house than we are to yours. So why don't you just come on home and live with me? And God translated him. He didn't die. He translated him to heaven. Theologians seeing that a type in a picture of the rapture. Because there was a judgment on the way called the flood. 
In this man who had walked with God, who loved God, God spared from that coming judgment called the flood. And people see in that a type and a picture of the rapture to whereby one day God will spare those who believed in Jesus before a final judgment and a time of tribulation hits this world that he will take us out to be with him. Thank God. Amen. If we're still alive in that moment in time. So there's a hope of a second chance. There's a hope of of calling upon God. There's a hope of of walking with God. But there's also the hope of safety during judgment. And this is our last blank, last thing this morning. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he followed a son. Did you notice there's a Lamech here in the line of Seth, and there was a Lamech also in the line of Cain. And Lamech in the line of Cain was the one that bragged to his wives, I've killed a young man, I've murdered a young man who wounded me, and I am so vengeful, you better not mess with me. That was the lineage of Cain. But the lineage of Seth has another Lamech, who when he lived 182 years, he followed a son and called his name Noah. Saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he followed Noah 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. We're told in Genesis 6, where we'll be going next week as we start a a three-part series on the flood. We're told that Noah walked with God. And we also are told in the Bible that God used Noah to preserve the human race because God told him to build an ark. And he preached trying to get people to get on the ark. And everyone that got on the ark would have been saved and made it through on the other side. But there are only eight people that got on the ark. But those eight people made it through to the other side safely. In another way, the bloodline of Jesus is preserved. The line of Seth continues, who Jesus one day would be born through. Noah's name meant rest or comfort and comes from a word meaning quiet. I'll kind of unpack that a whole lot more next week. But just for now... That seems to imply to me that Noah in a crazy, wild culture, a culture that was growing more and more sinful to the point that God decided to wipe it off the face of the earth, that somehow in that type of culture, Noah himself found a way to walk with God and have, to walk with God and have peace and quiet and comfort in the midst of a culture like that. That tells me you and I better not be making excuses not following God and not living in peace in our minds with God and comfort in our minds with God and security in our minds with God because of the wild world we live in. I'm telling you right in the middle of a crazy culture, you can have comfort and peace with God. But his name also implies that he provided a way Noah listened to God, built an ark the way God told him to, and through his obedience, Noah provided a way for people to be safe and have security and comfort and quietness themselves in the midst of a storm of judgment. 
many Bible scholars see in that a picture of salvation. All who listened to Noah and got on the ark made it through the other side. Our ark is the Lord Jesus Christ. All who believe in Jesus and get in Jesus, we will make it through to the other side of a time of judgment and be delivered safe in a new heaven and a new earth. Because of Adam's sin, sinful activity hit the human race like jealousy and murder, and an ungodly bloodline began to flourish and become more and more and more sinful. But even in the midst of all that tyranny of death and sin that was in the world, God provided hope. Through the bloodline of Seth, he teaches that we can have a second chance. He teaches that we can call upon God. He teaches that we can walk with God. He teaches that we can be safe from the storm of judgment if we'll trust in Jesus Christ, the Redeemer that he had promised. I don't know where you are today. Only you and God know for sure, I guess. You may not even know, but God does. Death reigned from Adam on. Paul tells us that one day in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Thank God one day death will be no more. But he also tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, if because of one man's trespass, I read it earlier, if because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, and it did, reigned throughout the whole human race, much more those who will receive the abundance of grace, God's unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, something you can't earn, that God wants to give you freely. You can reign not in death, but you can reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The immediate descendants of Adam and Eve were impacted. The future descendants of Adam and Eve were impacted all the way to our day, including us. But did you know you can change families? Did you know you don't have to stay in the family of the first Adam? Did you know that believing in Jesus Christ, you can leave that fall? You can leave that judgment of sin. You can leave the tyranny of death and sin in your life. You can move from the family of Adam into the family of God by believing that Jesus paid the once and all ultimate sacrifice paying for your sins on the cross. So which family do you want to be in? You can change families today. Let's pray. Father, give us all right now an awareness of the true impact of the fall upon mankind. How it has impacted man's
fellowship with you and relationship with you. Through the fall, things like jealousy and anger and murder and death have reigned throughout the human race. But Father, also give us the hope right now of knowing that through Jesus Christ, through the Redeemer that you sent, we can be forgiven. He conquered death as they put him in the grave, in the tomb. And he took his life back up to give us hope of everlasting life when we believe in what he did for us on the cross. The Father, I pray first of all right now for those who are believers, those who've already trusted in Jesus. I, I pray right now, even as I'm praying, that they will pray and, and thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for a second hope. Thank you that we can call upon you, we can walk upon you, we can be safe through a storm of judgment. We thank you for that, Lord. We praise you for all that you've done for us. And Father, I pray you put that thanksgiving in the hearts of believers as they pray and as we sing in just a moment that we will be thankful for what you've done for us. But Father, I also pray for anyone here that may never have changed families and they're still underneath the penalty of sin and they're still underneath the tyranny of death. Father, I pray right now you'd give them the faith they need to believe in Jesus, the Redeemer that you sent to pay the price for our sins. Give them the faith they need to trust in Him and nothing else. Forgive us when we try and trust in human ingenuity. Forgive us when we exalt ourselves. Help us, God, to look to you and exalt you. So give anyone here that does not know you faith right now to look to you and help them to change families. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.